So anyone a parent in here? Anyone have parents in here? Everyone but the aliens and the angels. So maybe this happened. You're outside your plane as a little youngster. You're playing with your G.I. Joe action figure with the Kung Fu grip, your tricycle. One of your siblings comes out and yells at you. Hey, and whatever name, Jenny, Jimmy, or all the new names, river and ocean and mountain and dirt or whatever they are nowadays, can't figure them out. You have to come in and do the dishes. What's the next thing you said? Who says you got it? Who says, right? Dad said so. All right, I gotta go. Mom said so. Oh, I better get in there. Hustle. Don't make mom mad, right? And what were you doing at that stage? Who gives you the authority to do what you're saying, right? You're asking about authority. At a very early point in all of our lives, we questioned authority. Like, what gives you the right? We're in the story of Jesus right now. He's come in for his coronation in chapter 11. He's the king. What's the first thing he does as king? Cleanses the temple, which was a massive moneymaker for the power centers of Israel. And if you want to make people mad, touch their cash cows, right? So Jesus has done that. And so what happens next is there's wave after wave of who says. I call it questioning the king. So he has been coronated. Now it's his confirmation. What's your authority? What's your politics? What's your theology? What are your priorities? And every single one of these questions, it's a trap. They're ambushing him. Happens every year, right, at the elections? In October, you can expect an ambush, right? When did Hunter Biden's laptop come out? Right? October. Why? Because that's when you ambush people. It's always that way. So this is, and all of them are a takedown attempt on Jesus. They know he's been coronated. So now, now let's question him. Is he going to be confirmed? Okay, so let's jump in. We got to back up to chapter 11, and pick up the first wave of this kind of attack on Jesus. Verse 27, chapter 11. Gospel of Mark. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Quite a crew. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, 
they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Who says? Who says, Jesus? So they come to him, verse 28, and they say, what authority? What authority do you have to do these things? What things are they talking about? The cleansing of the temple. None of them said, why did you do that? You know why they didn't ask why? Because everyone knew what was happening in the temple was wrong. There was no one that thought what they were doing was right. It was just making them a lot of money. So no one was willing to do anything about it because it was such a big cash cow for them. It made too much money. Do we do the same thing today? Yeah, look at the NBA. The NBA knows some bad things are happening in China, knows some minorities are being oppressed, re-educated, killed, all kinds of bad things happening to them. But does the NBA say anything in defense of those minorities? No, why? Because they know they'll be canceled. And the NBA has a $5 billion deal with China. That's big money. And they project the market in China will be multiplied times bigger than the market in America. So hands off, right? They all know it's wrong. I'm not gonna say anything. We're, you know, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. So you got the power source of Israel coming. When it names this group, the chief of police, or chief priest, chief of police, goodness. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they made up the power of Israel, all concentrated in this group. It was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was able to determine if someone was a heretic, a blasphemer, and could potentially have them put to death. So they are the power center. And they are coming to Jesus. That is a great, great ringtone, man. That'll get your attention. Like, now, answer me now. <laughs> okay, okay. So the Sanhedrin, they said this. They said that they sat in the seat of Moses. The other gospels will say that. And what that meant was they were in a direct line of succession from Moses down to them over 1,500 years. And now they alone had what's called the oral law. We have the written law, the Torah, but they had access to the oral law of Moses and it gave them a special ability to decide who was a heretic and who was not. Right? Sound familiar? It's a little bit like the Roman Catholic Church for some of its history, kind of had those same kind of inclinations. And so what they're doing now in coming to Jesus like this, the giant group all together is they're showing this kind of intimidating force. Look, Jesus, be careful. We've got the power. This is the president and the Senate and the House and the Supreme Court all together saying, look out, it's the deep state, if you would, of Israel coming at Jesus. So what does Jesus say? 
Hey, let me ask you a question. John the Baptist, was he from God or not? What a brilliant question. Brilliant. Because the Bible predicted a John the Baptist character coming. So if they attack John the Baptist, they're attacking the Bible, right? So it is a brilliant, brilliant question. So then this giant group gets together. They huddle together, right? They're like, hmm. Have you ever seen politicians do this? Like just spineless, right? There's great politicians. Then there's the spineless kind of ones. They're in a deposition and a real simple question is asked of them. And then they lean over to their lawyer and they're like, they have this kind of like, and they come back and they go, um, we don't know. Right? What, what did you talk for for five minutes then? If you didn't know, what did you talk about, right? You're just like, oh man, it's insane. We took a poll and the safest answer is no answer, right? I'm not a biologist, whatever it is, to simple questions, <laughs> right? Just like, are you kidding? What they expected was this. It's the way people did things back then. What's your authority? Well, I went to the University of Jerusalem. I got a 4.0, I have a PhD. And I agree with this other guy who is also a PhD from the University of Hebrews. And then he agrees with this other PhD, right? It was just like this, that's what you did. And if you really arrived, you didn't quote other PhDs, you quoted yourself. That's the way things worked. Jesus doesn't work that way. He just asked them a question they won't answer it. And then he just says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Yeah, I'm not playing. How good is that? What's our lesson? I think the lesson is simple. We, we too often try to defend ourselves and make these big statements. You know the best defense is a great question. I'm finding that more and more and more. The best defense is not trying to explain my position a bunch. It's just asking people the right, wise kind of question. I'll give you an example. So about a year ago, um, I made a video and it was defending two teachers that in my humble estimation were being railroaded by, by the school. And so I said, hey, uh, I, I agree with them. I stand with them. And it was on the transgender issue and they had put out a video on that and, and got a lot of like flack for it. So I, I said, I think what they're standing for is right. So I put up this video, oh my goodness, the hate, right? Like it's insane, Facebook and then my email and then conversations, it just kind of went on and on and on. And finally, uh, in May of last year, a friend of mine who's a younger pastor, uh, he's in Rogue River, he's like, Matt, did you see what Lewis and Clark put out about you? Lewis and Clark College. I said, what? Because it's all over social media. I say I don't have social media. That's why I'm so happy, right? <laughs> He's like, let me show it to you. Let me make you unhappy. I'm like, okay. So it has like a picture of me and I'm burning in hell's flames, right? Just hell's flames are coming up. And then there's a that like they had combed through my sermons and then I would say something and then they'd be like, that's a lie, heresy. And they'd like just attack. I'm like, wow, they had to listen to a lot of sermons to get that. <laughs> Praise the Lord, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? So it's just hilarious. But what I found was they got all the power. And you try to make a reasoned, simple, 
articulate answer. They just shout you down. Like so many of the conversations would end with like, why are you so interested in kids' genitals? What? Right? That's like, we got you there. I thought we were actually having an, a learned conversation. So here's what I came to. Like by the May, this is all I would do then. I would ask a question. And as for people, I'm not talking about adults. That's a different question. I'm talking about people that are saying it's right to give puberty blockers to nine-year-olds and then eventually cross-sex hormones to children. This is all I ask him now. This, this is it. From May on, I just would say, answer me one question. Do you believe in the chemical sterilization of children? Yes or no? That's it. Because that's what's happening. It's happening to children in our country right now. And you know what? I have yet to have someone answer. Well, that's all right. no, no, just that's all. I just want that answer. Or I'm not playing your game. Answer me that. Then we can have a discussion. Man, it's so much better. Ask really good questions today. Really think through the issues and talk them out in your head and say, what is a good question to ask back to identify the main issue here? It's Jesus style. Brilliant. The next Jesus has to wade into taxes. Woo! April 15th. Let's go. Skipping ahead, we did the first part of 12, picking it up in verse 17. 13, excuse me. And they, I don't know who the they is, the group aligned against Jesus, most likely the Sanhedrin, doesn't tell us, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, keep those two groups in mind, to trap him in his talk. Not an honest question. And they came to him and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinions. I love that. <laughs> You offended everyone, so obviously you don't care about people's opinions. For you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Flattery. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Taxes. You want to have to write a fat check on the 15th? You want to happy about that? Right? We, we hire CPA is to pay less. I have never seen a bumper sticker that says, I heart the IRS. <laughs> I've never met a kid that's like, when I grow up, I want to work for the IRS. Okay? Like, it's not a loved thing. Do you know this? Like, when you put the IRS together, check this out. Guess what it equals? <laughs> How good is that, right? Yeah. They're coming for it. All of it, right? <laughs> So this is a major takedown of Jesus. They think we got him. We have got him here. We are going to squeeze him. Is it God 
or is the government. And the coalition is crazy. It's the Pharisees. So when you see the Pharisees in the Bible, they are the hyper-fundamentalists. They're the guys, when you go to the growers market, they're outside and they've got the signs of the aborted fetuses on it. And they've got all the Leviticus commandments just written out. They're those guys, right? That's the Pharisees, just hardcore fundamentalists, right? And I've stopped and tried to talk to them and said, hey man, do you think abortion's a sin? Yeah, me too. Why are you putting it on a sign? Would you put any other sin on a sign? Would you put pornography on a sign and be like, this is really bad. Why do you have it on a sign, right? Oh, that doesn't, no. I said, if it doesn't work universally, it doesn't work. Man, I like your message. I just don't think your methods are right, right? So it's that group, just the hardcore fundamentalists. But then the Herodians, they're the politicians. They actually work for Rome. That's a crazy coalition, right? It's the Tina Kotex and the, Nancy Pelosi's and the Kate Brown's like, what? They're together? They must really hate Jesus, these two groups together. It would be like this, okay? So they're asking a very divisive question. It'd be like being a guest speaker in a packed room where half the room loves Kate Brown and the other half of the room loves Tucker Carlson and you're asked about the vaccines. Oh, great, right? It's lose-lose. So they just think we have got him checkmated here. If he says, pay your taxes, the people will be like, ah. If he says, don't pay your taxes, the Herodians will run right off to Rome and make sure he gets arrested for insurrection. Gotcha moment. We're getting him right now. And it's what happens all the time with public figures. You try to get them depopularized by asking a very tricky question, right? Mask mandates and taxes and electric vehicles and solar versus nuclear abortion. Man, don't you agree with women's rights? What do you want to go back to back alley? Coat hanger abortions and deaths, right? You, that's what you, you try to depopularize by asking these kind of questions. That's what they're doing. It's a takedown on Jesus. For us today, it's who do we serve? Do we serve God or do we serve our government? That's the question. And what's Jesus' answer? You're dual citizens. It's absolutely brilliant. You're a dual citizen. So number one, he says, you have a debt to the government. Pay it. We struggle with that, don't we? Two reasons why we struggle with that. Number one is government waste. They don't spend it very well. So all the taxes that I will pay in my life, income tax, gas tax, property tax, sales tax, whatever it is, all the taxes I will pay in my whole life, the government will spend that in less than one second. That I am worth 700 milliseconds to the U.S. government. I go, oh, and you know what April 17th was? Anybody? Tax Freedom Day. It means I, you, we work from January 1st to April 17th and all that goes to the government and then we get to keep the rest, right? So I work all this time and it's 700 milliseconds to the government. And I go, oh. And then the second thing is, 
Sometimes the government spends funds in a way that I do not agree with. Right? <laughs> Immoral ways. They fund art that just looks like pornography to me. They fund abortions. They um, teach things that are antithetical to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Right? And I'm supposed to pay for that? So that's hard. But remember who Jesus said to render taxes to. Caesar. Was Caesar a good citizen of the world? Did he spend money in moral ways? No. He was the worst. As immoral, as violent, as terrible as people could be, the Caesars lead that list. So what Jesus is saying is, you and I have a responsibility to pay, and then God will hold governments responsible in how they use it. And we have a couple of steps up on they did 2,000 years ago. Israel was a subjugated country. They had no rights, no, nothing. We have rights and we can vote and we can be involved and we can protest and we can do things that they could not do. And we should do those things. It's much better than complaining, right? But I think it's even wider than that. We are citizens of the United States and with citizenship does come some responsibilities. So a while back, I was called in for jury duty. And it was a murder case, so uh, there's a bunch of us and we were sequestered for a while and there's like 80 of us. And then we were marched into the courtroom and then they just go through, I was number 76, so the odds of me getting selected were pretty low, but they made it all the way to, the way to 74. And I'm like, oh no, right? <laughs> Everyone's gone, it's me and this other guy, we're like, oh, it's coming for us. But I heard 74 cheesy excuses for the most part, right? Like you can go online and be like, how to get out of jury duty. And you know what all of them are? Lies. Lies. No, if, if I need to serve, I'll do it. I want to, but I'm not gonna lie to get out of something. This is my duty to the country that I belong to and I'll do my duty, okay? Like that's how we're supposed to see this. It's, it's wider, it's bigger than that, right? And and I pay as little as possible, but you know what? I do like the benefits of the government. I do. I like clean water. I like the fact that sewage isn't flowing down 6th Street. Like, that's really good. I like that. I like to dial 911 and have somebody answer. Like, yeah, that's, that's comforting to know that, right? I'm glad that I don't have to worry about being attacked by bloodthirsty mobs from Canada. Like, ah! They're coming for me, right? Like those things are really, really good parts. And if you, if you don't realize how good we have it, please travel. Travel. I've made five trips to India. The first trip to India, the thing that shocked me was the amount of garbage everywhere. Like just the trees had more trash bags on them than leaves because the wind just blows it up into these trees. And it's heartbreaking, right? I mean, here, here's an illustration of it. Um, we had gone shopping and Jim Wright, pastor of Mountain Church, he had bought a bunch of shirts and they were in like these paper boxes with cellophane wrap on them. So he was opening up as we're driving back to the base, opening up the cellophane wraps and pulling out the shirts and then rolling them up and putting them in his backpack. And then he would carefully fold the cardboard and like was making a pile on one leg of cardboard and then carefully folding the cellophane and making another 
pile of cellophane on his other leg. And then he gets all done. He's holding them in his hand. And he's like, you know, thinking he's going to recycle them or something. I don't know. But he's got them in his hand. And Babu, this guy that's sitting next to him, was like, hey, get, yeah, I'll take care of those. And Jim's like, oh, great. I think he's going to recycle them. He just takes them and chucks them out the window. And then he just looks over and he goes, yeah, like, good. And Jim is just like, oh, okay. And so Israel, our guide, saw that. He had to explain. He's like, listen, I know there's garbage everywhere. I know it's weird for you guys, but we don't have dumps. We don't have garbage service. Like we could put trash cans out, but it's not gonna do any good. No one's there to put them anywhere. So there's no infrastructure. I'm glad there are laws that say you can't, driving down Interstate 5 after you left the mall, you can't just take all your refuse and throw it out the window. I'm glad for those things, right? So yeah, okay, we have a duty as citizens of the United States, and we should be good citizens. But then Jesus says, number two, number two, whose image are you? Genesis 1. You and I were created, stamped with the image of God. So what do we give to God? Not April 17th and the rest of the year is mine. Not just a percentage. We give to God everything. We owe him everything. He is our creator and we give back to him everything that we are. Render to God that which is God, which is my whole being, not a percentage, okay? So two things, try to apply this, and then we'll be done. Number one, beware of creep. This is what I mean. In the Bible, there are spheres of authority. Genesis 1, God appears. He creates everything out of nothing. He is the owner of everything. He's authority number one, the highest. But then by chapter two, we get a new authority. It's the family. Adam and Eve end up having children. So you've got family as authority sphere number two. But then the world goes into chaos. There's anarchy. Murderers get away with murder. The whole thing has to be redone. So in chapter nine, there's authority number three, and it's called government. Those are your three spheres of authority. To me, that's the order. Number one is God. Number two is family. Number three would be government. Here's the thing, though. Government always wants to take the other two spheres of authority. It's always trying to reach in and kind of dig into those other spheres and get some of the authority from God or from the family. And if I had time, maybe at some point we'll do it. You can just look at our government now. It's a new religion. That's what it is. It's not so much about rules so much. It's about making a system, a philosophy that punches out a certain kind of person. Like it's, it's like, woo, that's powerful. And what are people most passionate about today? If you want a passionate conversation, what are people gonna be talking about? Yeah, politics. You turn on the radio, you turn on talking heads. What are they talking about? Politics. Like the, the majority of news is now politics. And what's being pushed out by DC and Salem, not necessarily rules, but much more a philosophy, a religion to shape people into the kind of citizen that they want. And we can argue about that all day, but I'm never gonna change DC. I'm not gonna change Salem. So I always come local, local. I come back here and here's what I know. The sphere of authority for me is that I am Matt Heverly in charge of 
the education and raising of my children. Do you know that? I'm in charge of that. That's my responsibility. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Proverbs, excuse me. Read Ephesians chapter six. Read Colossians chapter three. That's me. I'm to train up my children. That's my responsibility. But who does most of that today? Our schools. So then what happens is there becomes this rub at some point, right? Because parents still kind of feel the mandate, like, wait a second, shouldn't I have a thought in that? And then the the government starts, well, I'm gonna take more and more of this. You see it working out. In Florida, you saw it a couple years ago, into this year, or last year, in Virginia. You see it always, like, who gets to say this because it's the creep of grabbing more and more of family's authority. But I gotta come back and say, no, I am to raise Carissa and Bella and Gabrielle and Elijah and Myron. They are my responsibility. And how that works out is between me and my spouse and God. But I gotta be careful. And you gotta watch out for creep. I'll give you an example. So a number of years ago, we're at the park, we're playing. It's July. Elijah's probably five or six years old. He's young. And up pulls this van, right? And and we're just kind of playing. I'm looking at the van. I'm like, what's a weird looking van? Out comes this table. And then all this food comes out. So I'm like, what? And these kids kind of go over there. So I walked over. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And the lady said, oh, this is the school lunch program. I said, but it's July. She goes, oh, it's year round now. We, we have school lunch year round. I said, oh, okay. And she goes, and your son's welcome to eat here. So Elijah's like chocolate milk. He's ready to grab one. I said, no. I said, I feed you. The government does not feed you. And I just see the lady go, oh, we got one here. Come get him. <laughs> So I took him out to eat right then. Here's why. Those programs are important and they help people. But my responsibility is to feed my family. As long as I have two good legs and I have a strong back and I can do it, I'm gonna work. If I gotta get a second job to feed my family, so be it. If I gotta collect cans and bottles on the side of the road, so be it, because I can do that. Now there's no doubt people that need that and I'm glad for that, but I can feed my family. And as long as I can, that is my responsibility. I'm not letting that creep in. Right? I gotta do that. It's the joy that I get to do to supply the needs of my family with the time and the talents and treasures that God has put into my life. I partner with him in doing that. And we gotta be careful because it starts to creep. You start to outsource and you raise a different kind of citizen. A citizen that doesn't say, ah, I trust in God and I've seen it through my dad. It's, oh, I trust in the government to take care of me. No, no, be oh so careful. Remember the movie, The Cinderella Man? You see that? The boxer falls on hard times. Great movie, Russell Crowe. No one? Golly. So what happens, man? He hits hard times. It's the Great Depression. He goes and gets help from the government. They give him some money. But then he makes some money, gets back everything the government had given him, goes back up to that same window and says, here you go, it's back. We need a lot more of that, I think. A lot more of, no, God has enabled me. The government has no money. The only way they get it is from taking it from someone else. And that's not what I'm going to trust in. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But I'm gonna remember the name of the Lord my God. I've been given this authority. I can work hard 
and that's what I'm gonna do. Because you know what? How I live this simple life of 50, 60, 70, 80 years is gonna echo out for eternity. It's shaping me for the next billion, billion years. And I wanna be shaped well, shaped well. Beware a creep. Number two, know your role. We're dual citizens. So I just had a conversation with someone. It was like, um, uh, it was a long conversation. Like, well, you know, I didn't know if I should, you know, as a Christian, I just thought you're supposed to forgive them and let them do whatever. No way, you dial 911, right? So read the end of Romans chapter 12 and the beginning of Romans chapter 13. They're actually connected. The chapters are not inspired by God. They're just put there. But chapter 11, the end of it, is my role as a citizen of heaven. And it says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. Don't be overcome of evil. Overcome evil with good, citizen of heaven. But immediately at chapter 13, the government has a sword for a reason to punish the evil doer. Dial 911, contact the Better Business Bureau, do those things. That's their job, right? That's the two. And it's not wrong. We're not supposed to be doormats. It could mean that I dial 911 and then I go visit the guy in prison. That's a good citizen. Could mean that. But no, man, right? Don't get them confused. They're, they're, they're both, not either or. They're and, not either or. And this is my hope for us as Edgewater. My hope is we are the best citizens of Grant's Pass. That when people think about this church and those that say they're part of this community, that they say, I'm so glad they're in our city. They do so much good. They help us. But man, Matt, Oregon's such a terrible state. It's so bad. Think about just getting out of here. Do you know the worst city in the Bible? It's not Portland. It's not Eugene. It's Babylon. And there was a group of people that were saying the same thing. This place is so bad. We gotta get out of here. God wrote them a letter. Listen to it, I'll read it for you. It's Jeremiah 29. To me, it's the marching orders of all of us in a post-Christian America. Verse four. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to Yahweh on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Three things. Number one, Invest, build houses, plant gardens. We're to be investing in Grant's Pass. Taking our time, taking our talents, taking our treasure, investing in our city. It might be running for county commissioner. It might be running for a city board. City council might be running for a school board. Invest, invest in your community. Help widows, invest, right? Things aren't gonna change if nobody invests. Number two, Increase, get married, have sons, have daughters. For us, it's, man, the way that we increase is real simple. We see sinners turned into saints. 
Right? Jesus had no uh, political aspirations to undermine Rome. What did Jesus have? I'm gonna turn a bunch of sinners into saints. And within, by 300 AD, Rodney Stark, who is a agnostic, he's not a believer, he's an agnostic historian, says 50% of the major cities of Rome were Christian. And it just changed Rome from the inside out. And that's how we change. We turn sinners into saints. We have to get back to what our message is. It's Jesus, God in the flesh, has come to reconcile you to the Father, to adopt you as his son and his daughter. He has come to make you an ambassador of a new kingdom. He has come that you might become a king and a queen, ruling and reigning with him forever. That's the message. That's what changes people. We wanna see increase. Easter's next week. Invite people. They wanna be invited. It's the one week it's not awkward. It's, hey, come, it's Easter, right? You invite, we increase, we get back to the message. And then, bless Babylon. Pray for Babylon. So here's what we're doing this week. We're praying for the welfare of our city, of our state, of our nation, of our people. So from 6.30 to 7.30, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., every morning this week, we're getting together and we're just praying. We're doing Jeremiah 29. We might feel like exiles, strangers is in a strange land. Okay, but we're gonna increase and we're gonna invest and we're gonna pray because if our city gets blessed, we get the blessing from it. That's what we get. This is what good citizens do, right? We're dual citizens and we're always balancing what both of those mean. Okay, I wanna be a good citizen in Grant's past. And ultimately, here's what it is. It's we were stamped with the image of God. And we don't give a percentage of our life to God. We give everything to him. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You were purchased for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So when we take communion today, as we take the bread and the cup, We're saying anew, afresh. We're saying, we belong to you. You are our king. You are our savior. You redeemed us out of slavery, purchased us out of the kingdom of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of light. And now we're gonna glorify you in these bodies. Jesus I pray that we would be a people wholly given to your glory and to your name. I pray as we eat of you today that we, like John the Baptist, would say we must decrease and you must increase. So increase in us individually, corporately in this city we are. Let's eat together. And we hold the cup. The cup of cleansing, the cup of forgiveness, 
the cup that puts the cancer of sin into remission, the cup of celebration, that you'll return for us one day and drink of this cup again. And so meet us where we're at. For those that are thirsty, fill. For those that are in the throes of sinfulness, feeling owned by something, would you set us free? For those that need to have the hope of your return, may we be reminded that this life is short and eternity is long. And you will not leave us as orphans but you're preparing a place for us that where you are, we shall be hereafter. Meet us in the cup, I pray. Let's drink together. Amen. So we finish with a song. After that song, if you need prayer, there'll be people that will be up here. They would love to pray for you. Nothing too small, nothing too big. We offer baptism. Baptism, to me, is real simple. It's receiving Jesus as king. Salvation is you receive him as your, Lord, as your savior. He saves you from your sins. He redeems you. He reconciles you. And then he says, now as one of my sons and daughters, be baptized. And baptism is the obedience of the command of the king. Okay? I'm submitting to his lordship. And for me, it was a moment. I can't explain it. It was spiritual. It was like a turning point in my life when I was baptized when I was 20. Like, okay, I'm in. I belong to him. I'm gonna glorify him now with my body. Not perfect, no doubt, but it was the beginning of something really good. So if today is your day where you're saying, I wanna be baptized, right over here will be someone that'd love to talk to you and explain that to you. And we'll join with you and celebrate Jesus as King. Would you stand for this final song?